You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live Portraits, featuring intimate, in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Portraits, Dario Kristen. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Black Hollywood Live Portraits. I'm your host, Dario Kristen, and here joining me in the studio today are Courtney Stewart. Hello. And DJ Jesse J. Yes, I am. And we have a very special guest with us today. He is one of the most versatile on-air personalities in the game right now, Caduce. Yeah! I like that introduction. You like that? Welcome, versatile welcome. like Scottie Pippen in the Chicago Bulls era. There you are. <laughs> yes. No, nobody under 30 got that at all, by the way. Anybody watching, please just Google Scottie Pippen. You'll get it. <laughs> exactly. They will get it very quickly. <laughs> well, welcome, and thank you for joining us in the studio today, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. We're excited to have you. Now, you have been in this game for roughly around 12 years now, right? Yeah, going on 13, actually. 13. Now, from the beginning, when we first saw you pop on the scene, you stood out from most of your competition and from the rest of the BJs. If for my hair only. No. <laughs> and your name. And your name. And my and name, name being and completely unpronounceable to most people, yeah. Now, take us back to you as a kid in Canada. Were you the same type of kid that you grew up to be as we that we saw as Caduce on MTV? Like, what you, what was your personality like growing up? Well, if you ask my brother, I was way more annoying. <laughs> oh man, I always wanted to pick a fight with my brother. I just had too much energy, you know. Yeah. And I think for what I do now, it's actually a good thing that I have that much energy. But you back then, it. for my brother to deal with, <laughs> woo, he wanted to whoop me and throw me across the hall. Um, yeah, so it was definitely. Uh, a case of just somebody who was always passionate about something. You know, I was passionate about basketball, passionate about music, and obviously that's led me to where I am now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a great household to live in. My dad was really passionate man, mm -hmm. very hardworking guy, really taught me a work ethic. He's from Haiti, first generation, met my mom down in Haiti when she was down there building schools on a third world aid project. Oh, wow. And oh, wow. so, uh, you know, they fell in love down there. And then my, my dad relocated to Canada. Imagine the culture shock that he <laughs> went through and just the hustle he had to put in to, you know, basically overcompensate for the fact that, you know, he was a dentist already practicing with his own business down in Haiti, but then Canada didn't recognize all the education he'd gotten in dentistry, so he had to work that much harder to, like, you know, do apprenticeships all over again, go to school all over again for stuff he'd already learned in Haiti. So that was awesome to be around when I was a kid, and my mom being a teacher, an educator for 30 years. So, you know, I definitely uh, developed a curiosity and interest level uh, in the world around me because of her. And, you know, obviously that pays off as an interviewer. So that was what laid the foundation. for so us. an interesting household. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. So since your mom was a teacher, was education really important? Was it really strict in your house? You know what the irony is? That she was actually not as strict as you'd think. Um, my dad was way more disciplinary. But... You know, obviously my mom, you know, she nagged me quite a bit to finish my homework. Um, but 
Yeah, I think she was really more sweet than that. And she was also really exhausted by the end of the day mm -hmm. after dealing with the yeah. kids in her class, all kinds of behavioral issues at the Wazoo. And so, you know, back home, I think she, she needed to relax a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I still passed. Still passed. That's I the still most important did all right. You did all right for yourself. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you mentioned your dad's from Haiti and your mom is Dutch. So was, was culture, how did culture impact your life growing up? A lot. I mean, just in the way that uh, I listened to all kinds of music. My dad would play compa, which is Haitian music. Yeah, My mom well. would listen to Van Morrison and Paul Simon and everything in between, really. I mean, jazz was in the house. And uh, my mom being somebody who, you know, she really was a worldly woman. Like, she traveled quite a bit. And so she'd have all kinds of different art from all over the place. And so it really it created this cultural sponge that is me. You know, I was always really interested in, in everything that, you know, was, uh, was around the house. And so that was awesome, awesome being raised in that house. Whose personality would you say you are more like, your mom or your Ooh, father? That's a tough question. Uh, I feel like this is a therapy session. <laughs> I know, right? I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a you fusion. It really is. Yeah, right? <laughs> Be like, I am LaVinza. <laughs> I was going to say that. We just had that topic. Yeah, right. <laughs> Patterns and pathology. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, I think it's... Uh, Definitely a combo, you know. My my dad uh, had a huge imprint on me. Um, as much as I'd like to claim autonomy from my parents, oh, I'm my own man. Uh, they really did inspire me in a lot of ways. And uh, you know, my mom was was always so interested in in caring and uh, and being like that. And I think that really contributed to my my philanthropy side. You know, yeah. it's really, um, you know, at this point in my life, I can really say I'm more of a humanitarian than I am an entertainer. And I really think that. I mean, you look at my background, the fact that yeah. my mom met my dad on a third world aid mm -hmm. mission in Haiti. And then even before her, my grandmother was a World War II hero. Oh, wow. She was part of the Dutch resistance, and she was a huge uh, part of what happened there. I'm sure yeah. there are a lot of stories that you heard oh, yeah. and experienced growing yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely all informed who I am. So I, I give credit all over the place where credit is due. And it's interesting because uh, we had um, just names. I feel like names... Uh, are your destiny and so we, we had joyful drake in here and she was so joyful and it just yeah. her personality yeah. fit her name and caduce i mean it means a man of peace yeah so i mean just meeting you 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 have a sense of serenity around yeah, you, you and would you say that your name kind of formed you into the man that you are yeah i mean definitely especially because caduce was a hero of the baha'i faith mm -hmm. uh, he was a guy that was a martyr for the cause and so i always looked at that and said, wow, man, I got to make a difference when I'm here. I always got to make a difference no matter what I'm doing uh, in a positive direction and hopefully not lose my life in the process. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But yeah, it definitely informed a lot of how I've lived my life. And uh, yeah, it's a lot in a name. And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it's also made me very understanding because people mispronounce it everywhere I go. So it just makes me very tolerant and zen-like. And so far <laughs> as I know, people go jack it up. What do they, uh, like, what, how do they say what it? They, what oh, they I've say? heard every variation. I mean, cut us, queet us. <laughs> Uh, I mean, just, you know, Quitus. and I'm always like, you know what? Just call me cute. Yeah. Make it easy for make yourself. Easy. Call me cute. <laughs> I like that. Man so, in peace. so growing up, I read that you were an avid chess player. Yeah. And you, are you pretty good? You still got skills? You know what? I haven't played as much lately, Okay. Uh, but I, I can still hang. I mean, it, it, you get a little... it's one of those things where I just don't have as much time as I used to, right. you know, back in the day with all kinds of disposable time. Now I'm, I'm pretty busy and chess is one of those commitments. I mean, you can sit down <laughs> at a board and be there for hours and uh, that's, that's usually what it takes. So now, no, not, not so much, but yeah, back in the day, like and it was huge for like just my mental development, you know, as a kid to be able to, to have chess as a part of the fold. So I'm, I'm glad I got it in while I had a chance. And speaking of commitment uh, uh you are a dj as well yeah. uh, and so where did your love of 
because that is a huge commitment. And uh, to me, I feel uh, honestly, music is life. Um, it tells your story. How did you get into wanting to make that a career? Man, the, the, the journey of a DJ for me started when uh, I just realized I love music. I would stay up late at night on a Monday night. There was one radio show in Ottawa, Canada, where I grew up, <laughs> that was dedicated to hip-hop. It came on at midnight on Monday night, and the Haitian Sensation... The Haitian Sensation was the DJ of that show. He became a friend of mine. His name's Henry. Shout out to Henry wherever you are. Um, <laughs> but he, he seriously sparked that passion for like mixing and like creating, curating an experience for people around music. And I'll just never forget, I used to tape that show with the cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. I'm dating myself now. But <laughs> I, you know, I used to tape that show and I'd wear out that cassette tape throughout the week, you know, listening to my little Walkman around school. And then sure enough, I'd be there at the decks again on Monday. But then, you know, a good friend of mine, my name's Scott. We were one, one day, it was a summer day, and we were at his house. We're digging through his basement for random stuff. You know how kids do. They just got time on their hands. I was like 14, 15. We found these old turntables. And so we dusted them off. And at that time, Wu-Tang Clan was really big. Oh, yeah. Yes. So all we knew was we needed to do something with these tables and get some Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and so literally, we, we created a mixtape that was very Wu-Tang Clan influenced. A uh, little bit of other stuff, but like heavy on the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and at the same time, I was also spoken word poet, so I sprinkled in some interludes in it. And we just made a mixtape for our boys, just like out of just pure, you know, fun uh, with these new turntables. And we weren't so bad, you know? And it just went from that uh, to then we did basement parties and, and you know, I splintered off and did my own thing for a little while. And then, you know, when I was at university, at the University of Ottawa, a friend of mine named Sam somehow lucked up on a spot on the campus radio station. And uh, he said, man, I got Wednesdays at noon. I don't quite know what to do with it. I know you spin, and maybe you can help me out. And so, boom, I went ahead and, you know, helped out Sam with this one hour he all of a sudden had on this campus radio station. And that was my first experience in broadcasting. Not even on the mic hosting. I was just DJing. I was mm -hmm. just spinning music. And it was, like, just the purest hip-hop. It was just Nas and, like... We were so anti, like, Britney Spears and all that other stuff. No which, pop. You yeah. were like, no pop. And the irony is, like, next, you know, three years later, I was finding <laughs> myself TRL. interviewing oh, yeah, exactly. everybody yeah. like that on TRL. And I really, I gained an appreciation for those people. I, I, I feel guilty for even having ragged on them back in the day. Because then you realize, like, they're just people. You know what I mean? And it's like the pop machine has a way of enticing people to make that kind of music, and they just go along for the ride, and you can't really judge them. So you know finding I mean? the turntables was really the moment where you were like, I love music. Like, this is this yeah. is my moment right here. Yeah. I mean, really, it was even before that, though. I mean, I remember listening to, you know, when I went to my grandma's place for holidays, she'd be playing Bob Marley around the house. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about being immersed in, like, the way my grandma had her house, it was like, you know, she traveled through Africa. She, she was just this incredibly cultured woman. So uh, I just really love the arts in general, yeah. you know. And, and music was always just the soundtrack to my life. Like, no matter where we were as a family, I could guarantee that there was some really good music. Like, the fact, the fact that my parents had such good taste in music, mm -hmm. you know, cannot be understated. Because I think if we were listening to, like, some old, you know, whack, you know, like, <laughs> B-side stuff that you probably wouldn't hear, you know, still to this day. But it was timeless music that they played all the time yeah. in my house. So, yeah, it just, it really seeped into me. And I, I just knew that, you know, music, it really does change your mood better than any, anything 
anything else could. You know what I mean? And it just, it really does, uh, it springs up a lot of different stuff. So as a DJ, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I was going to say, as a DJ, like when you started out <laughs> in high school, what was like the go-to thing for you, the song or the artist that you always knew would get your party hype? Like what were you doing as a DJ? Well, you know what? I'm going to piggyback off my Wu-Tang Clan references <laughs> I was gonna say, and tell you what did not work at the parties because <laughs> I really swore my first party, I'll never forget it, it was at a little community center and we had like, I don't know, maybe 40 people there. Uh, they didn't necessarily come for the music, but yeah, it was quickly evident that the music was important <laughs> because I swore everyone in the room loved Wu-Tang as much yes. as I did. This is the first lesson as a DJ. Know your audience and don't play music for <laughs> your own enjoyment. Right, right. You gotta, cater so, to the room. Cater to the room. He's getting excited over there. He's the going couch. back. Woo! He just <laughs> makes my back. damn headphones fall off. Uh, but literally, that's what happened when I realized not everybody loved Wu-Tang. My headphones fell off. I was just like, what is going on? Everybody clearing the dance floor. I just all I wanted to do was play Wu Tang. Uh, but then, yeah, obviously I, I expanded my palette. Uh, but you know, back in the day, I mean, it was you know, Black Street was hitting. Oh, wow. you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, you know, I'm an '80s baby. I was I was spinning in the mid '90s, and it was like, yeah, Black Street, and I mean, Dr. Dre, and like. Um, all kinds of stuff, man. All right, so you, this is going to bring you way back, but uh, I, I mean, I can remember the first album I ever had was, was given to me. Uh, what was yours? The first album I was ever given. I remember the first album I bought. Oh, yeah, was it, so or you it bought was one actually, before you were given one? Okay. It, was, it was a single. It was uh, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. It wow. takes two. <laughs> I'll wow. never forget, I bought it at like, uh, it was a farmer's market or mm-hmm. something like that. And it was like one of those like discount bins or whatever. Uh, and I bought it and I just, I, I never forget that that record's so good. Oh man, it you takes know, two to make a thing. You know what's right? crazy? What you're saying that, about hip hop and just old school music anyway, which we call that old school now, which is like 80s and 90s, which is crazy. But uh, Rob Bass was on a commercial for like Verizon or something. Like it was, it, the music is resurfacing. Huh. And now these it's guys are like time. able that to make time. money off of these timeless songs. You yeah. know, who knew back in the day when they were creating these songs that it would come back and, and, and be played, oh, you yeah. know, and they could get paid for it. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So we're going to find a mixtape of yours somewhere, somewhere that's going to resurface. It's going to be the Caduce mixtape that's going to be on a commercial sometime soon. I hope my mixtapes never resurface, man. Let me tell you, I, I had the, the funniest DJ name, and it really speaks to, like, how serious I was about myself and, like, what I was doing as a DJ. Uh, the DJ alias was DJ Prophet. Wow. Now, and that you, is how, profit. How you, it was like you, a profit. It was like a like I'm prophetic with the records okay. I play, like way too self indulgent. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but you gotta have a little gusto as a DJ, it. right? I would, I would love to hear that Wu Tang mixtape. Actually, it was it was good. Yeah, can Black. you get us some copies of that? I, know. Yeah, I think I you think know I what hear I kept. It. It, it was a cassette tape, though. You know, they have expiration dates. I mean, that thing withered away after a while. But <laughs> I mean, it was definitely just a moment in time, man. It's just something to look back on, and yeah. you know, uh, I'm just so I'm so glad I've met. It's true of all of that because it was humble beginnings, no doubt. So, like in college, you were a philosophy major. What made you choose that major the as a prophet. career? The you know prophet, what? Is that, yeah, because it seems like it's all tying into some of the things you're saying. The prophet, you know, your name. What is? Why'd you choose that? You know, what? I would love to say that it was because I was very philosophical, and <laughs> my first book that I read was actually the autobiography of Malcolm X, and so I did really feel philosophical in a lot of ways. Everybody joked around that you could not have uh, a small talk conversation with Caduce. You could, you know, because it was going to get deep at some point. Um, but no, the truth, of the, the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, 
it's because philosophy is actually the the easiest course, the easiest major to get into at university. Like you only really? you could squeak into philosophy. And oh, I did not I have stellar grades. I did not have stellar grades coming out of high school, and so yeah, I barely squeaked into philosophy. So what was at that time before you knew you wanted to be a host or make that your career? What did you plan to do with that with philosophy? Like, were you gonna? The plan wasn't really yeah, laid out. No, 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 okay. He was gonna find. There was no plan. Yeah. The plan was yeah. no plan. <laughs> the plan was no plan. I really didn't. I, you know, I, I really thought I maybe could do the MBA. But I was. I just stopped growing at one point. Uh, so that dream was a no, no bueno. Um, and and then you know, I thought, yeah, maybe I could be a teacher because I really loved, you know, how my mom made a difference with these kids and it was so fulfilling for. Her. Um, but really, I mean, I, my bottom line was really making a difference, and I, that's the only thing I knew coming out of high school. Yeah. That's the only thing I knew is that I wanted to make a difference. I didn't know what that was going to look like, so I just went ahead and did philosophy just as a kind of, you know, a, a placeholder. Um, but, you know, ultimately I, I figured out that, you know what, the entertainment business has the most influence Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for better or for, for worse, worse. Yeah. Uh, on, on this next generation. And if I really want to make that big impact, it's going to be through the entertainment business. And then sure enough, after one semester at university, uh, the modeling industry started calling. Yeah. And uh, that's when that picked up. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, because we know we were mentioning before that you obviously stood out from the beginning. So I'm, I'm assuming that that also was the case with the fashion world. So tell us tell us yeah. how you got discovered. You know, what's funny is that in high school, nobody remarked how I looked, right? But then for some reason, as I was in my first semester at university, a lot of people started telling me I should be a model. And I was like, word? I was like, huh? <laughs> there, are, there are male models? You know, I thought, that's just Fabio, right? No, it's like a full-blown industry, and you can do it. And so I was like, okay. Um, and then it just got real when, like, one of the major agencies in my hometown uh, in Ottawa made a point of saying, yes, absolutely, like, we can get you gigs, and you know they laid out the whole you know dream, and I was like, okay, you mean to tell me you're gonna pay me how much for standing in front of a camera, look there? pretty, <laughs> and I'm gonna travel the world, and there's gonna be beautiful women around me everywhere? <laughs> Sign me up, you know what I mean? Like uh, philosophy can wait, <laughs> and so yeah, I just dove right into to the modeling thing, and it really took off, and it really provided me so many opportunities. Like I was with Elite Model Management, uh, Toronto was a connection that was made. That's eventually, big. And I mean, that's the top of the tier right there. That that was a great jump off, and I. I mean, you know, Honda campaign, McDonald's, and you know, Parasuco, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Red, everywhere. It was, and it was like, you, you know, when you're on the right track, when uh, when it just kind of happens, and it's yeah. like you almost don't even have to force it. That's true. And that's what happened. It was just so fortunate, man. All these gigs came up, and uh, it really set me up, you know, in a big way. And how'd your family feel about that? I mean, you you know, you from Ottawa, and you know, you went to college for philosophy, and now you're a model. What did what did your parents say about all this? I mean, my my parents have been really supportive along the whole way you know uh they they've been really cool about it and they're open-minded you know at that point i wasn't necessarily a stellar student so they weren't like you're giving up this you know incredible academia that you've developed like they're like okay there's an option for this boy (laughs) (laughs) because they could tell i was just not that engaged in school and well what they found out in high school they did this test way too late but i because in like grade 12 they were like there's something off with this kid because i was always like the 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 class clown and always you know uh, to completely distracted and not really into schoolwork and they found out that it was because i was advanced and they had me in the regular track 
you know, uh, humble brag. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, the bottom line was I was not stimulated, I was not engaged because right. I was bored. And yeah. you know, they didn't figure that out until too late. But then, you know, at that point, you couldn't tell me nothing about the value of being in school. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, I really do see the value now. But you, you got to like you got to be hitched in on an organic way for you to actually be able to achieve and like yeah. have it pay off ultimately. And I, I mean, I, the bottom line is I didn't know what I wanted to major in. A lot of people go to university and they figure it out along the way. But a lot of people go to university and they squander a lot of money and they yeah. got a degree they don't even apply. Uh, but in our society, even that's better than not getting educated. So I will encourage kids to go to school. But the irony of it coming from a dropout, you know, we don't need to start. You know what I mean? But, but you had a, a pretty great path. Like you were saying, if things happen, they must be happening for a reason. Because after that, you were discovered as a host on Much Music, and then you went on, is it V-O-X, or is it pronounced Vox? Vox. Vox. So you then were working on Vox, and you received a Gemini Award, which is the equivalent to an Emmy, right? Oh, well, you know what? (laughs) I should clarify that. Because I'm an integrous dude. You know, I could have easily been like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. No, but the thing is, that show is, uh, we launched the show. So it was uh, was one of the writers and one of the hosts of the uh, inaugural season of it. Uh, And then it went on to win a Gemini. So the show, the show ended up winning a Gemini, but I had left after. I the think first you should season. just go ahead and take the the. the claim I know, to right? Fame. It's so much cooler, you know, right? We we won't know the difference. Just go ahead and tell us that you. It's because of you, Caduce. If you hadn't started, exactly. I know, right? It I won't take credit. It. I mean, we definitely, you know, the precedent of a show is important, and we laid down true. really good good tracks for it to jump off of. So that I could take credit for. So now, did you feel like you learned a lot during those competitions that really helped you to pave the way to get to MTV? Oh yeah, my goodness, the Much Music VJ search was uh, trial by fire. Woo! I'd never been on live television, and they plucked me from doing that campus radio show. That was the only experience of broadcasting I had. And then they made the announcement with the Much Music VJ Search, which works a lot like MTV's VJ Search, you know, yeah. one that Jesse Camp uh, got really popular oh, yeah. and yeah. stuff. Um, so next thing you know, you know, I get flown to Toronto, and, you know, I'm in front of this live audience, and it's like seven other finalists, and, dude, I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt like it was an out-of-body experience, man. Sure, I was like... Yeah. Woo! Every insecurity I ever had is now on full display. Um, but yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting challenge. And it really, you know, it taught me a lot about, you know, how important it is to know yourself. Yeah. If you're going to put yourself in front of a camera, you better know what you stand for yeah. or you will willow away in the wind, boy. And, you know, at that point, I still, I still was finding my way. And, you know, you could tell I, I knew who I was, but I was nervous about who I was. Yeah. So ultimately, a guy named Bradford Howe won. And, you know, God bless him, really talented dude. I was the runner up. You know, but best thing that ever happened to me because a year later, MTV, you know, what happened in between was Vox. And that yeah. was really what nurtured me and really solidified who I was. And a brilliant producer named Maria Ferrano was really that woman that, you know, sh- shook me off and dusted me off from the Much Music VJ search and had me ready then for MTV. And, you know, life's never been the same since. Well, it's funny you say that uh, you were just talking about insecurities and hosting because the fact that a lot of people, I've talked to an acting friend of mine and they were saying how hosting is so different because you put yourself out with hosting. If people don't like you, it's you kind of take it personal because it's like your personality. But you, if they love you, it's your personality. So they obviously loved you. So you went from there to MTV. Yeah. How did that happen? Like obviously they loved something about you. So what? Tell us how that path went where you went to MTV. You know, it it really goes to show that you just never know where your blessings are going to come from, and you got to be open and accessible for people you wouldn't necessarily think would make that difference with you to make that difference because mm-hmm. it was a young guy named Ben Barry who at the time was, I think, 16, 17 years old, the youngest modeling agent in Canada. And, um, 
you know, he was a guy who was very flamboyant, like big personality, almost felt like he was selling you a car when you hang out with him. <laughs> but, you know, really good dude, and you could tell that too. And so, you know, I, uh, I looked past the things that I wasn't really familiar with, you know, from where I was from. I didn't really know how to deal with a dude like that. Um, but, you know, there's something at his core that really said, you know, be in touch with this dude. He definitely means well. Sure enough, after the first season of Vox, he made a point of saying, dude, put together a reel of what you did at the VJ search yeah. and what you did at Vox. I'm going to get it to my aunt. She happens to be a senior agent at the William Morris Agency. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't even know what the William Morris Agency is. I, I mean, I was really green. I was in Canada. Sure. We don't know. <laughs> so I was like, but that sounds real fancy. And I will definitely get you a reel. And got so, a lot of letters. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so I put together the reel. I gave it to him. He sent it to his uh, aunt. Uh, her name is uh, Nicole David. Nicole David at the time was representing Whitney Houston, wow. Alicia Keys, uh, I, I, you know, I can only imagine when she got that DVD from her nephew, right? In Canada, like, okay, your friend in Canada <laughs> is going to be, what now? Okay, I'm busy. I got Alicia Keys calling. Um, but sure enough, she eventually watched the DVD. God bless Ben, because I think he nagged her every time they talk over the course of like six months. Finally, she watched it, you know, took it off the table where it was probably a coaster and then uh, <laughs> put it in. And so sure enough, she thought it was, it was great. And so she was like, all right, your boy's got talent. Next time he's in New York on a modeling job, Make sure he pops into the William Morris agency over there. I'll set him up with a meeting with a junior agent. And sure enough, I met with this guy, Kenny Goodman. And after five minutes of talking with me, Kenny was like, you're MTV all day. Wow. And so the next day, he had me in MTV's office meeting a guy named Scott Venner, who is now the music supervisor of Entourage and uh, uh, 90210. Uh, but at the time, he was a talent development executive for MTV. And, uh, man, I sat in front of him, and I was like, Whoa, you know, I've never seen MTV, but I get that it's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, middle Times Square. Who like, the hell are all these people? And all of a sudden, I was like, like oh, I've never had so much dry mouth in my whole life. You know when you're so nervous, you're like, oh, yeah. your, your mouth feels like the Sahara Desert? I was like, <laughs> woo! Ah! And then, uh, you know, we just talked, though. It was just him asking me questions about, you know, my life. And so we talked about everything. And at one point, I remember uh, he said, why do you want to be a VJ? And I was like, you know what, because I can't sing like Maxwell, and this is the next best thing. <laughs> now, that's and, a line. You know what? But, you know, it's funny. I just came genuinely, and it was the only moment in the interview where I felt like I actually made an impact. Like, he has this He'll poker face. Yeah. Oh, man, he had this poker face, dude. He's one of those dudes who just wouldn't give you nothing. To this day, you can't really tell where you stand with Scott. <laughs> but he's my boy now. But, like, at the time, I didn't know what to make of it. I was like, oh, man, is this when I tap dance? What the hell? <laughs> Woo! It was so... That was the toughest interview of my life. Um, but sure enough, I just, you know, I just was myself, man. I just, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be who I am. And, you know, through the nerves and the dry mouth. And, uh, you know, he put me on camera, uh, had me read some cue cards from TRL that day. I still had yet to see TRL, so I had no idea what I was so really So you really, you had no research done or anything. You nah. just... I was just totally winging it, you know. Uh, I, probably, I probably would have been smart to watch an episode of TRL <laughs> before going in for uh, an MTV interview. But, you know, at the time, he told me later, at the time, they weren't even looking for a VJ. And so th he just did the meeting out of courtesy for this agent at William Morris. And then, sure enough, he, he liked me. You know, I couldn't tell walking out of the office. I couldn't tell. But sure enough, then two days later, I get a call from my agent, Kenny Goodman, and he said they want you to be a VJ on MTV. Wow. So from that one meeting, you got the job. That's it. Man. That's it. Normally they put these VJs now through like seven or eight yeah. rounds of screen tests and stuff, but like 
I, I, he actually gave me the audition tape, and I watched it back. I'm like, I get it, like, because I was just unbridled energy, man. Yeah. I was so, and I was so like unfazed by what I'd seen on MTV because I didn't see anything. Yeah. I think a lot of these kids they walk in and they think they got to be like Carson Daly, or they, right, they exactly. think they got to be like. And I just I didn't have any reference points. So I was just like who I am, you know. And uh, and so they they yeah they created a slot for me and they had me go down to the beach house like about three weeks later and start my career at MTV. So now you're at MTV. Wow. You're on this huge platform. I'm assuming at that point you probably had done a, you did some research and realized how big this platform yeah. was. Did you ever become overwhelmed? Like you know how you start to get in your head at that point. So. Oh my God! Did I ever get in my head, dude? I had insomnia like you wouldn't believe because I, I I was this kid from Canada who you know middle class upbringing. I mean I work for everything I have. My parents work for everything. You know all of a sudden I'm in the lap of luxury. All of a sudden I got kids screaming on my name. Girls running up to me, running their fingers through my hair. I'm like this is kind of weird, but it's cool. <laughs> Too. I kind of like it. Ooh, but then they're like, they're paying me more money than I ever seen in my life. Like, it started to become like, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And also, like, I, I was very conflicted because at that point I was very clear that I wanted to make a difference, right? And I come off a show called Vox, which was really a substantial show. It was like the young 60 Minutes, if you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Magazine show format dealt with, you know, uh, drug abuse, dealt with everything that young people were dealing with, but also had fun, lighter stuff. But it wasn't the emphasis of our show. So all of a sudden, I'm on, like, this poppy, fluffy, like, I dude, I felt like a sellout. Really? Yo, I felt Especially like a going sellout. from hip-hop, I'm sure, you know, like the whole yeah. hip-hop, you know. yeah. I dude, and my first gig with MTV was as the sidekick on the Mandy Moore show. <laughs> wow. So imagine I'm a DJ yeah, that like, a... you know, is like, you know, talking all kinds of self-righteous stuff about how, you know, hip hop is it. And like next thing you know, I'm like, I had the Mandy Moore show. Golly, what the hell happened? <laughs> so, you know, listen, I mean, you know, it, it was a rough summer to adjust to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a case of insomnia, like you'd never believe. But, you know, I came out of it uh, very grateful, yeah. very grateful for the opportunity and definitely having just enough foresight to realize that, you know what, this may not be the show that makes me feel comfortable, but it is something that will eventually lead to me stone. having the show that I do feel comfortable in that is mine that I have ownership of. How did the other veteran VJs treat you since you were the newbie on the block? Were there Man. any phase that the, phases that they put you through or any pranks or anything? I wish. I wish. I mean, it was really, it, you know, and maybe this is, uh, I'm going to take responsibility for, like, maybe it not being completely uh, what it was. I mean, I was, I was, in a way, intimidated to really get in because it was a completely different world. So a lot of times I would just go back to my hotel room. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't make a point of going out for drinks. At that point, I was actually adamantly not drinking. So imagine a Canadian kid who decides that he's not going to drink at the MTV Beach House. Is that heard of? I don't even know. No. I mean, like, I, mean right? I think it was the running joke. Everybody was like, so this kid could deuce, right? He got, he got a mop for a haircut, and uh, he, he don't drink. Uh, but, you know, I was, I, was, I was that guy. I was really, you know, I, I had a lot of very, like, um, you know, strong beliefs and, so I mean I I would be I would have fun but I wouldn't I wouldn't drink and so yeah it kind of limited my my social uh, engagement with everybody a little bit but you know Carson gave me some advice when I first started I remember uh, my my first time meeting him was at the uh, foundation room in the House of Blues mm-hmm. and Scott Venner he walked me into this party and there was all kinds of like stars around I was like okay I recognize her from a movie I recognize her from a movie and then uh, Scott walks me up to Carson and I'm like so uh, I'm the new guy uh, you any any advice for me. And he goes, very simply, in the midst of this party, he's not trying to really give me a whole breakdown. He's right. like, you know, be yourself, have fun, and don't date girls in the industry. 
Wow. <laughs> I mean, Carson was just coming yep. off of having his heart broken by Terry. Terry Reed, right? right? That's what I'm saying. Meanwhile, I'm like, okay, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> no girls in the industry. And that was the extent of our conversation. So I like, I make up a whole thing about like what that means. Okay, so so, oh, it's because you know if you have a girl in the industry, that means it's more of a publicity stunt, maybe, and it's not as genuine in a relationship. And then I didn't know the whole background. So anyway, you know, I made up a whole lot about that. It was a really, really interesting time, you know, to like really learn as I went along and like not really have a mentor. I mean, you know, Carson didn't really take me under his wing. You know, it was like very professional. I mean, learn as you go, learn as I go. You know, Um, I didn't make a point of asking him to be my mentor. He didn't make a point of reaching out. So we could both take responsibility for that. But, you know, that's why I'm so adamant now whenever I have a project where I'm bringing people under me that I really do, like, take that minute to really explain things out and not just leave it at, like, don't date girls in the industry? Like, you know, so I think that's an important part. I think that I really want to make a point of always doing is, like, strong mentorship because uh, it makes things easier for people along the way, you know. People are still going to learn the hard way a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I mean, people generally just don't learn quite the same uh, if it's not experience driven, but I definitely feel like, you know, along the way I could have used a couple lessons, but it, listen, it all turned out, you know, uh, I'm very blessed to this day. So well, you mentioned good. don't dating and don't date in the industry. What is your, what is your dating life like? I mean, what do you, you tend to date outside of the industry for a completely? while there, I did. I mean, I was, <laughs> I ran with that advice. I was <laughs> like, that is the Bible for me in the industry. I was not. So I date. I made a point of just dating outside of the industry, and you know, I think to 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 that credit, I actually find that it actually rounded me out quite a bit. You know, I, I dated somebody who was she was the head of uh, like a um, uh, neurology department at a, at a hospital, and like you know, I dated girls that were far, you know, above and beyond what the industry was doing. So I think it always gave me a conversation that was driven by other things than just the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, it made me a well-rounded person. But uh, but it also, like, it drove some of these girls crazy that I was going to Cancun on spring break. I'm sure. And, you yeah. know, it's You're hard for us. What are you girls doing around. down yeah, exactly. there? <laughs> like, you know, and a lot of them just wouldn't wouldn't be able to ever really believe that um, that I was just with them. Like, and, right. and, and you know, mm-hmm. they just want a side chick. And I was actually, like, dating Mariah Carey or whatever you know what I mean it was like so it was it was interesting to see how that played out but ultimately I, I expanded my uh, my option base <laughs> <laughs> well you said this was like a learn as you go sort of process what do you think the biggest mistake is that you made during that process and what did you take from it you know I would say um, hmm, not making a point of getting a mentor I think having a mentor really, you know, even though, I mean, listen, the selection of a mentor is imperative. Mm-hmm. So just don't get any mentor. Get somebody who's actually got the life that you want and, and don't settle for anything less. Because if you're, like, getting advice on relationships, but the guy's just gone through three different divorces, you probably don't want to have that as a mentor <laughs> if you want family in your life. So I would say get a mentor. I would say also um, make sure you really think through your decisions before you make them mm-hmm. so that you can really just, like, hit the ground running with those decisions and not, like deliberate and look back and wonder if you made the right decision like you know really sit with it you know write it out do whatever you 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 need to do to really process it but like um but make sure you come to that real definitive decision and don't look back um and also just make your decisions from like your your core values you know not what you're hearing like your boys say is going to be cool whatever have you but like really what you believe in and um yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really important. Yeah, I, mean, I could give advice for hours, though. You no, know, don't man, get me started on my soapbox. I'm sure you know our listeners are appreciating it too. What so. uh, musically? I mean, you know, you were <laughs> so hip hop, hip hop, and uh, you know, you said as you worked with TRL, there were some certain artists that you kind of realized, like, oh, well, there are people too. But musically, wh- who was the artist, or what was the moment that you know, whatever it was that you did with 
uh, TRL or MTV, um, that kind of just made you look at it like, huh, I actually kind of dig this. Or was there a, a specific artist that really changed your whole mindset on music as far as that? I think actually I could give Justin Timberlake a lot yeah. of credit because, you know, it's yeah, JT, I mean, really, and, and the way he was, too, just as a person, like, aside from his music, we got to spend a lot of quality time. My first, like, I can say, well, those are some interviews before him, but the one where they let me have the reins, like, up until that point, I was, like, Carson's sidekick. I was out there on the street, like, dealing with all the kids going crazy, and, <laughs> and then they were like, no, this is going to be a show that you're going to anchor, and it's Justin Timberlake, and it's Justified coming out, and, I mean, it was a moment, you know, mm -hmm. and, like, next thing you know, um, you know, I'm getting to know Justin, and, and getting to know that, I mean, that, his background was what it was and you know he did in sync but I mean it was it wasn't necessarily all that he was and um and then I started to really think about you know even in the sync stuff I mean although that manufactured boy band thing for me like on a you know philosophical level <laughs> was you know whack but the fact is some of their songs were all right yeah you know and if I'm really being honest and not being like you know too self-righteous that was cool. And so then when he really made the swerve into what we know him now, um, it was very clear that I was like, you know, super judgmental about, you know, a lot of the, the people that were making this music. But really, it's like it's way deeper than that. And like you can't judge a book by the cover right. or, or by a song, you know. And, you know, then we, we hung out. And I remember like after the show, we had such a good time doing the show. I went to like this uh, release party after he had me at his table. We were partying like crazy, dude. Like I'll never forget it. We were in the corner table and he was popping a bottle. I was right to his left. <laughs> it was like a moment, you know what I mean? Like nobody will ever forget when Justify came out because I feel like it really did change a lot I think, oh, in, in the course hot. of pop culture. Yeah. And uh, I remember the New Yorker did an article about Justin at that time and uh, they featured a picture of us on set. And it was like, it really started to feel like, oh, wow, like, I am in pop. I am part of pop culture. Like yeah. I'm not just now like this kid back in Ottawa. Like you know, oh, I'm hip hop is it? Like I was like <laughs> I was like I am now a part of pop culture. So if I'm still having these limited beliefs about these pop stars, I'm actually hypocritical at this point. Right. So uh, it really flipped the whole. So you would say he's probably your favorite interview. Would you say or he's great? I mean, I, you know, Alicia Keys is amazing. Um, she's so warm, you know, and so genuine. Like anytime you're around her, you just feel like you're sanctified. <laughs> like, are you Mother Teresa? She does have that energy. Yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. Um, and then, you know, Will Smith has always been great, too. Uh, you know, he makes you feel like you've been friends for years. Yeah. He just starts cutting up and, you know, uh, just a really cool guy. And I mean, I, I've had a lot of great and Stevie Wonder was just, you know, out of sheer respect alone, yeah. I had that moment with him. And uh, But the way he was, it was incredible, too. You just never know where he would go in an interview. He has, like, that jazz mentality, you know, and it's like, I just love people like that. They don't come with a soundbite. They just come with like, you know, a genuine, a genuine. listening and, and where they, they come from is just so spontaneous. I love those interviews. You just never know where it's going to go. And you worked with uh, Britney Spears and Usher for their HBO concerts. Oh, their Showtime specials. Showtime. Yeah. Uh, that was for the Onyx Hotel. Uh, what would you... Were you asked specifically for to do that? Like, what went through your mind when, you know, oh. Showtime, Britney Spears, Usher, like, two of the biggest artists out at that time? I mean... Yeah, it was really... Oh, wow. It floored me, man. I Because um, I still was... I still was not really embracing my place in all, all of it. I really didn't, I, I still didn't, you know, kind of own my power. I didn't really feel like, I was just happy to be there. I was almost surprised to be there still. So when things like that would pop up, I'd be like, wow, yeah, man, I really, I'm doing all right. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? I've like, arrived. You know, I've I arrived. I'm doing all right. Yeah, like started oh, from the bottom. Now. So we here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was dope, man. It, and um, I mean, the, the times that we had too. Like, I mean, Britney Spears. We we were down there, and uh, just a good time. You know what I mean? And she's a sweet girl. You know what I yeah. mean? People like obviously they skewer her now. Um, she's gone through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like has. her family being what it is. I feel like it's you know it's all interconnected, man. If you see it, like it's just the family thing ultimately. But you know, you know, Usher was great. I remember uh, the Usher was Usher tour was crazy because I, can I had a crush on all of his dancers. You know, Binky, Binky. Oh yeah, from Electric. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was dope, and I got to fly down my brother. You know, that was the best to me when I got to have my family come oh, and yeah. experience it. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, because that really brought my worlds together. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just like my brother was just wide open on it. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so yeah, my mom, she got to like come by TRL. Like, she's all these kids screaming for a son hosting the show. What is their reaction to that? I like, mean, it's just, it's pride. It's pride. I mean, they, they uh, yeah, they're really, they're really happy, you know, because I've really maintained myself. And I think that's at the end of the day, like, what they're most proud of is not just not necessarily the hype around it, but it's the fact that, like, I'm still me, you know what I mean, yeah. at the end of the day. And, uh, and I, you know, because you, know, you see enough examples of people that do kind of fall uh, out of grace, so to speak, that's because, um, you know, it, the business is what it is. But, uh, but man, I've, I've been really blessed. I've kept enough good people around me to keep me grounded, and it's been good. And yeah. and so because you've won so many different awards too, I so you were in the fiftieth sexiest men ever by Teen People or something like that. TV's hottest new star. I mean, you've got you've had some experience. Coolest guy, the on coolest guy, guy on, on television. television. Associated Press. Oh wow, yeah, y'all and, don't make me blush. And they, they called you the Ryan Seacrest of hip hop generation. Oh, that's the New York Times. That's New York. I Times. remember that. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you talk to Ryan after that? Did he ever give you any advice? Uh, I mean, I'm sure he saw the article comparing you to him. So that was at that time he was definitely on the come up. So. It was yeah. more of a Carson Daly type of thing. Right? <laughs> it was more of a Carson Daly type of thing. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, listen, you know, I, you know, some some guys make a point of reaching out, some guys don't. And, you know, Ryan and I, we've had very limited conversation. Um, but it's all good because, you know, we both got different paths. We're both and, busy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Both busy people. I get it. So, um, no, but I mean, I, 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 was, I was, at the time, I didn't quite know what to make of that because yeah. I felt like you know what? Like I, I was, I was still taking myself too seriously, and I was like, "I'm my own man." What you mean, Ryan Seacrest? Like, <laughs> you know, I feel like it was definitely an honor. I mean, Ryan is killing it. You know, it never made you look like. Uh Okay, now that I, they're comparing me to Ryan Seacrest, like, how do I, you know, uh, should I be doing this? I, did it ever make you, like, conflict within yourself? Yeah, I definitely, because uh, at the time I was also, you know, an A&R. I was a developing artist. I was, you know, a director. And, you know, like, so I, I felt like, you know, what? wow, I need to really start to make those other elements of what I do and my creativity more pronounced because they're going to chalk me up as any other host if I don't do that, you know. But at the end of the day, like, I really, at this point, don't really care, like, you know, I, I used to care so much about, like, what those articles would say. Yeah. Or, you know, even if it was good, I would, like, care. So it's just like, but now you just got to live your life. It's tough not to. I mean, it's yeah. tough not to. You know, but to. it's all, like, it's been really great. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But still, like, people get so precious about their image and, like, how they're perceived. And I just feel like it's all, takes people take themselves way too seriously. I certainly was <laughs> of that ilk. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. And y'all place. can write about me whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ultimately that's what matters, you know? So you were at MTV from 2001 to 2006 and you left mm -hmm. how a lot of fans were obviously bummed that you left um how did how is your relationship with mtv or how was it when you left mtv you know it's, it's been good I, I still got friends in the building today um but you know they knew they knew that i wasn't fulfilled they knew that i, I had other things that i wanted to explore and so they weren't altogether surprised when i left um 
you know, obviously, you know, the rotation was a little bit uh, out of funk. You know, we had like we had like four VJs doing TR all the right, time. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Vanessa was Vanessa there at the was time. On, yeah. Damien. So it's yeah. not like they, you know, they were like completely ass out without another host. But like, um, but yeah, I feel I feel like it definitely brought you know a certain element to it that oh, yeah. that wasn't around anymore. Uh, but you know, we all moved on. You know what I mean? And like, you know, MTV is a different network now. But we still, you know, we're, we're in talks with them about something else now. And it's all good. I mean, you know, it's been a blessing, like, just to be able to to find my way outside of MTV. Because MTV at that point in my life had become so synonymous. It was like I was the MTV guy everywhere yeah. I went, mm-hmm. you know. And so that part of me that was, like, wanted his autonomy, wanted to be independent and still had that, like, that chip on his shoulder about being that hip-hop dude. Did, like, you, did you feel pressure being a black man on the network at, at that time when you had such a big spotlight? Yeah, I felt I felt a bit of pressure, but I, I don't I don't really feel it that much. I felt like I had a lot of I had a lot of support. Yeah, you know, like I remember um, I remember distinctly some people in the game like Kanye and like a lot of people like they really made a point of telling me just how much I meant to you know the the landscape to be there on TRL. That's great. and represent the way I did. So uh, no, nah, I always felt really 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 honored to be a part of that mix. And uh, but yeah, towards the end it just didn't really serve my my growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at a certain point, I feel like I did everything. I came to do as a VJ, you know, I interviewed Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. So I, after Stevie Wonder, I was like, I don't know what else I could do. You know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like I hit the ceiling as a VJ. I was there for six years. You know, you, you had a job for any longer than most. You know, yeah. so it's a good run. And um, and at that point, you know, I, I knew I wanted to dig deeper into creativity and like really, you know, get back to my roots as a DJ. You know, as as an A and R because you know all the all the way along while I was a VJ, I was developing artists and I actually almost got my own record label. Um, and I remember. We were at Red. Red is a, like an independent, it's like an independent arm of Sony, and um, there was this group that I was going to sign, and uh, it, word got to MTV executives that I was going to start this record label, and the executives were like, you know, we'd like you to focus here on MTV, and so you know, ultimately. I needed to stretch my wings, and I and I really enjoyed like being able to go from that to to MySpace, which at the time was, you know, the biggest platform online, and you know I felt like I, I managed to really uh, get there at an exciting time. So I learned a lot about what was happening in the tech world at that point. And for me, like it's all about growth, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and no matter how like glitzy the opportunity is, if you're if you're capped out on growth, it's an important thing to like know how to leverage that into other things, you know. And you discovered an artist by the name of Mateo, who you're, mm-hmm. you're going to see tonight, who's yeah. opening for Keisha Cole, Keisha Cole and and uh, Chris Michelle. Yeah, so he's on Interscope now. And, uh, so proud of him. I mean, I, I discovered him back in like 2007, and um, got him signed to MySpace, which, by the way, was a subsidiary at that point. Our parent company was Interscope. So I love how you know all these years later, Interscope still has uh, has their their claim on him. And you know, listen, he's kept developing. Like I can't take that much credit for him. I, I really was just the one to like say you're dope and I have an opportunity to be signed here um, but like you know he is a visionary and great songwriter he produces a lot of the stuff he I mean works with Crucial Keys and Crucial Keys oh, the one who, yeah, you know that's... he's so humble though that he'll make a point of telling Crucial oh I'm not a producer but like Crucial's like you know Crucial Keys works with Alicia Keys yeah. right. Grammy winner you know if he tells you you're a producer, just take that you credit. You take that credit. <laughs> but, like, this is how humble Mateo is. But he's, you know, he kept growing as an artist. And now if you listen to Sweet 823, which is yeah. his latest mixtape, I mean, dude's, like, he's about to burst, you know. And, like, he just came up with a song called How Good Is Your Love. 
And uh, I had his A&R now over Interscope hit me up today on email, like, you got to hear this. We're running with this as the single now, because Doubt originally was going to be the single. So anyway, some exciting stuff happening around Mateo, and like to see him touring, going Club Nokia tonight, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be great to, to see him open for, for Chrisette. And, and you uh, directed some of his music videos too, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, How was uh, that like? Well, I mean, being in front of the camera, now you're kind of behind the camera. Is that something you want to pursue a little bit more? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, Mateo, you know, to his credit, he was the one that actually really encouraged me in, in being a director. You know, as I gave him his opportunity in, in the record industry, he gave me my opportunity behind the lens. He saw something in me in the way I was, like, vlogging and stuff, the way I was <laughs> editing on iMovie. He was like, he was, yeah, he, I mean, listen, he was the one, he said, like, yo, you, you want to direct the music video for me? And I was like, word? Okay. I don't quite know how to direct, though. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I see it. You got something. So I was like, cool. So we just had an experiment of it, and thankfully I got a great DP who you know helped me along the way. This guy, Michael Dispenza in New York City, and uh, a great guy, uh, Kevin Boston, who taught me how to edit. Uh, you know, we just sat there like you know, he broke it down to me, and then next thing you know, we did the Empire State of Mind remix video. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, that was like, pff, man, I... I went obsessive compulsive on that video. Like now I know how that you know they talk about filmmakers just getting lost in their work yeah. and like becoming like almost manic about it. Like I remember working so hard on that video because it was not only a video for Matteo, who I really was felt strongly about as an artist, but it was also really a love letter to New York. Because yeah. I actually went in there in New York, we shot over the course of it was one day we shot all over New York City. And this was like after I'd lived in New York uh, in LA for like three years or four years. And I felt like, man, I, I want to go back to New York and do justice to the city. I got, you know, because the Empire State of Mind video with Alicia and Jay-Z was like Hype Williams doing these sweeping aerial shots in New York. But I felt like that, to me, wasn't the experience of New York that I had. I wanted to go in and really be with the people that, like, infuse the city with so much character and, wow. like, soul and, you know, all that stuff. The juicy stuff that we didn't get to see, really, in that video. So that's what I did with the video. And so it really became, like, another, like I have a tendency of taking myself too seriously. And so <laughs> I, I took it there. I made it, like, this thing where, you know, but ultimately, you know, anybody that sees it really feels that strongly about it. They're like, yo, man, I, you did New York City proud with that one, you know. So mm-hmm. And that was, the, that was the jump off. That was my first directing thing. And, and now it's, like, on to the next and figuring out. With, with the next, next thing that's going to be fulfilling in that realm, but you know, man, I, it, it's I got all these little, you know, these projects that I'm, I'm excited about. It's all you know equally fulfilling on different levels. So, You're an so, artist, so you I'm got ex- your hands in a little bit of everything. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm, I, I feel so blessed, dude. I tell you what, because you know, a lot of people do get limited, you know, or they limit themselves, and I just feel like I've always been, you know, able to just explore, you know. Now tell us about this acting thing that you were doing. You were, you were on <laughs> oh, Girlfriends. You were on CSI yeah. Miami. You did an indie film, Life in Cracktown, and you Life is hot. Life, life is hot, hot in Cracktown. Crack Excuse me. Yeah. Let me not forget the word "hot." Life is hot in Cracktown. Yeah, not a lot of people saw the movie. I don't blame you for not getting the title right. It was uh, very indie, uh, but you know the the vision behind it was really compelling at the time. And a good friend of mine uh, was one of the stars of it. He convinced me to do a cameo in it. And, I mean, that was like a real bit part, but it was really cool to like be on a film set versus, you know, girlfriends, yeah. uh, a TV set. And, uh, man, I, I learned a lot that day. I mean, you know, and, but girlfriends experience is powerful because it was actually, it was stemming from my philanthropy. You know, the character that I played on Girlfriends, a guy named Xander, he was a, uh, an activist on campus at UCLA. That character was written based off of the head writer seeing a blog that I wrote called A Love Manifesto. Mm-hmm. And that was really my, when I realized... When I left MTV and I started to really come into my own independence and really realizing who I was completely separate from MTV, I was like, really, I want to make a difference again. Like, I, I almost forgot when I was at MTV having so much fun as a VJ that my purpose is to really make that difference. And so 
I wrote this thing called the Love Manifesto after I'd done a couple different community things. And, and this writer is seeing the blog and she wrote this character based on it. So I just needed to show up the set and be that guy. So it wasn't really, I don't think it was like the most, you know, uh, you know, acclaim worthy acting role. <laughs> uh, it was really just me, you know, in the, in the context of girlfriends. But yeah, it was awesome, man, to do that. Would and you like to do more? More acting? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, it was great. You know, I, I'm just thinking about it now. I, I remember I was the love interest of Persia White's character. I, you um, know, it's funny. Your I episode recall. was just on like a week ago. Girl. On week. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 I, yeah. Get, I get tweets sometimes yeah, from my yeah. fans. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, really? That's the rotation? Okay. But um, <laughs> at the time, so Persia was engaged to be married to, this is a real life, mind you. So it's Persia White engaged to be married to a good friend of mine named Saul Williams, right? Saul Williams, a uh, great spoken word poet, actor, and um, so, but I looked at the script and it had me kissing Persia oh. and like the whole scene with like, you know, implied sex and the whole thing. So it's like, I felt some type of way, man. I know actors, they get nonchalant about it. It's right. just a job. But I'm like, yo, this is my boy's girl. <laughs> I'm going to be slopping up on her. And, and then I go hang out with him later. I'm like, gonna go oh. hang out. So I literally called Saul. And I was like, yo, so, uh, you know, I'm on Girlfriends uh, next couple of weeks. Right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, did uh, person tell you about our scenes? I was so worked up about it. He's like, dude, come on now. I'm a grown man. You, you go ahead. Do your thing. Just don't, 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 don't grab it too much. And, uh, no, but he didn't even say that. It was very, very cool. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, moving forward, I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm very open to acting again because it was a great experience. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future <laughs> holds. Man. And you didn't have to audition. Uh, you're on the, the host of Duets. And you didn't actually have to audition for that project? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, my track record was, uh, was what ABC was already convinced about. And really all it took was a meeting where they, you know, just, you know, confirmed that I was You must I was that be guy. gangster in yeah, your meetings. Really? I mean, you go, <laughs> you like it. most people have to audition like six times. My man goes in for one meeting and he gets every job he gets. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I never really thought of it like that. But yeah, there, is a, there is a pattern. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the casting producer on the show, you know, he had seen uh, what I'd done at MTV, but then, you know, what they made a point of saying in these meetings, you know, prepping for duets was they wanted a host that was really a music guy, not just a uh, host who happened to like music. Right. And so, you know, they looked at what I did after TRL and they're like, oh, wow, he was an A&R executive and then, you know, uh, music video director and like really, I mean, DJ throughout. It's like, he's really a music guy. So that was it. That was the rationale. So they apparently didn't even meet with anybody else. They just met with me. Yeah. And then, nice. you know, the, the, I, remember, I, I remember when that meeting was going well because it was first it was like three dudes. And then they called in the, the head of the network within the middle of the meeting. And so when he came and sat down, and I knew he was the boss. Nobody had to tell me he was the boss because he came in and he put his feet on the table. <laughs> and he crossed his legs like this and he just looked like that. And after about 10 minutes, he's like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then he walked out the room and I was like, I think this is going well. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I was really blessed, man, with that duets opportunity. Because that really put me back on the map. I mean, I was kind of off the radar doing the behind-the-scenes stuff for so long. Um, so to get back out there with duets was dope. Now, what was it like working with John Legend, Kelly Clarkson? You probably uh, already knew him, right? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, you probably yeah. had already interviewed them at some point. Yeah, I was, I was excited that John was going to be part of the cast. Because John and I go back. Like, I remember introducing him, one of his first showcases in New York City, when he was still John Stevens. You know, this is when he was, like, coming out of college. And he was still, yeah. like, a consultant out of uh, business. Yeah, he's from company. Ohio. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so all these years I've known him, and now to see him, like, you know, on the panel and uh, 
and really surprised by the way, like he managed to get his personality across in a way that I hadn't even experienced being his friend for all these years. So I was really, uh, I was really happy about that. And Kelly being like the sweetest of sweethearts, yeah. and like Robin just being wild, man. That dude, he would be drinking on set, and I would just be <laughs> like, oh boy, we're about to get an entertaining show. It's all good. That's if you so need good. one of those on the panel, you need a wild card. And so I was glad that Robin was there for us. And Do you watch him on Real Husbands of Hollywood? Oh man, he's so good on that show. He's I remember good. actually. Um, I bumped into Kevin and um, and Robin when they were planning that show uh, at the Chateau Marmont. It was oh, one yeah. night we just all happened to be there, and it, it, and Chris Spencer was there too. Chris Spencer is one of the writers, and I think he's an executive producer on the show. But they were talking about Real Husbands of Hollywood, and it sounded ridiculous. They were all like having way too much to drink, and they were like kind of like you know soft pitching it to me just as they were coming up with the ideas for it. And uh, I was like, man, I, as silly as y'all are, it, it'll, it'll work. It'll work, you know. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm so happy. I mean, this show's doing well. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's their number one rated script. Or it's funny show. that he's a big drinker because he's also the face of uh, Remy Martin. Martin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He is the face of Remy Martin. Uh, he is not shy about his love for the liquor. For the- as far as uh, music shows, I mean, you know, with X Factor, American Idol, The Voice, um, I know in an interview you, you spoke about Simon Cowell and you aren't too uh, keen about the way that he uh, talks to some of the contestants? Yeah, I just feel like, listen, I appreciate his honesty. Let me like not get it twisted about the fact that he is very, very real. He comes from that place of, okay, he rationalizes it by being tough on them because the business is tough on people, and yeah. I get that. But I just feel like in cer- certain cases, um, you know, it's important to have a finesse about the way you communicate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can be real, you can be honest, you can be blunt and get people prepared for a tough business by not having, like, you know, something ruthless and cold about you at the same time. And overall, I'm sure he's a perfectly fine guy. But I think that he really took on this, like, persona. This persona. Yeah. And it um, builds ratings. And it builds ratings, yeah. and I get that. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like, me having this artist development background myself, I know, like, what it's like for these young artists. And I know it's not the easiest thing. Uh, and, by the way, the business doesn't always feel like Simon Cowell. Like, I, I think, you know, most record executives have a certain amount of tact about them and you know yeah maybe they're talking about you like that behind your back but I don't think they're throwing daggers at you quite the way that Simon does when you know but I will say that the last couple times I've seen him uh, on these shows he has had a bit of a softer thing about him which is nice you know what I mean so I think he he recognizes that you know that harshness is not necessarily the only way to go Um, but listen man you know I, I don't knock the man I don't you know I don't. I don't know what the man does. You know, behind. Uh, you know, behind the stage, backstage, after. Maybe you know he's the sweetest guy in the world, and maybe right. he. Maybe he even preps everybody before the show and says, "Listen, I'm going to be a, a total dick." <laughs> so you know, brace yourself. Like you know, and those are the people that are shook up regardless of what he says. So you would work you know? with him on X Factor then. If, he, if if the call came in, you would say, "You know what, Simon." I'll take it this job. I mean, honestly, I would, want to, I would want to meet with the guy. Like, uh, you know, I'm not one of these dudes that's just, like, jumping at a biscuit if you throw it at him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'd want to sit and talk with the man and, like, see what his, what his mind state is like. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not quick to judge anymore, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, Simon's this or that. I think he's probably a well-intentioned guy. And, you know, I just feel like sometimes people's deliveries get misinterpreted. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm misinterpreting Simon altogether. How do you feel about, uh, as a host, Chloe uh, Kardashian, she was a host on X-Factor. She took a lot of flack from some people. Um, what, would you, what were your thoughts watching her, and do you have any advice? She just seems nervous. Yeah. She just yeah. seems like she hasn't done it enough. I think she and, got a tough rap. Well, could you yeah. say it's also kind of awkward that they paired her with Mario Lopez, who's someone who's so like, seasoned. seasoned and just delivers to the camera? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely, yeah, it was one of those things where I just, as soon as they announced her casting, I thought, oh, man, like, 
they're definitely trying real hard right now for ratings, and they're bringing in a girl with, you know, obviously a fan base. So it makes sense on a certain level, but, like, I I was praying that they screen tested her thoroughly (laughs) and that they were really confident in what they saw on the screen test. But then it's a whole other equation when you put her in front of thousands of millions of people, you know. And so they learned a lesson the hard way. I, I mean, I don't know if she's continuing on as the Isn't host. It's crazy because uh, I love I don't her. Think she but is continuing. Her QVC yeah. infomercials, they should have learned from those. But I love ah. you, Chloe. I really yeah, love I mean, you. Just, the thing is, like, I, I get the rationale because she's such a great personality yeah. on these yeah. reality shows. But it's like sometimes, you know, it's it doesn't a different translate one. sometimes. Translate. Yeah. Yeah. Now tell us about QSide. You're the executive producer and host. So give us a little bit more information about that. So, yeah, the QSide was really just born from a blog that I started just to share the dope stuff I come across with my friends. And then it just organically grew and grew and grew and then you know it went from me vlogging at these different cool events to like wow you know what maybe I should actually make a proper web series out of this thing and that's what it became and so this past year we jumped it off as a web series we partnered with Electus and Ben Silverman's shop over there and they have a premium YouTube channel called Loud and uh, we just had fun man we just basically uh, you know hung out with some of my favorite people in the business and really the show is very simple it's your favorite stars doing their favorite things in their element and really you know taking heed of the fact that like a lot of these entertainment news shows they they don't make a point of like really making it you know comfortable for these people to really be themselves they put them in a junket or you know these very sort of stiff environments or their studios and they expect people to be as comfortable as they as right. they can That's so right. it's like we're, we're flipping it and we're saying no we're, we're gonna I'm gonna go to their elements I'll go hang out with you know my boy Lamorne Morris we play basketball because that's what he wanted to do so we play one on one that was the segment you know uh, Cassie Steele from the LA Complex she wanted to bake me a red velvet, velvet cake so, you know, she, we did that. So it's like, it's way more organic than most entertainment news shows, and it's just more fun, man. We just and they probably really appreciate it, because it's such a more humble way of approaching. You probably get more out of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 a lot of people have been saying that when they see the show, it just feels like nobody has their guard up. And, you know, if they do have their guard up, I'm liable to say something hella real <laughs> and just, like, make them feel real comfortable real quick. And I saw one of the uh, videos you have posted on your site, um, the word emotional intelligence came up and your eyes seemed to light up. So what, what, why does that word mean so much to you? Oh, well, emotional intelligence is something I uh, really have gotten, uh, <laughs> I've really gotten uh, to know because I did a workshop last year. It was a phenomenal workshop, a self-development workshop, uh, essentially a leadership program for people that are always looking to take to the next level, figure out, you know, what's not working, what is working, how can I take my life to the next level? So I did this workshop, and it really comes down to emotional intelligence. It's really like understanding oneself, uh, being able to, you know, really understand the pathology as Ayala Van Zandt would say, and the patterns, and really being able to break them up and really understand um, what's really going on under the hood. You know, sometimes we go through life and we're always about doing and doing and doing, and we don't really, like, take that minute to, like, really figure out and be introspective about how we can really improve our communication with people, how we can improve our relationships. And and that that was the work that I did in this workshop, and I want to make this work available to everybody. The fact that it's not in public schools, especially with shootings like Newtown Mm -hmm. happening, you realize it's like, this kid did not, he was not able to compute his emotions. He didn't have emotional intelligence. Same thing with Whitney Houston. Another example, a pop culture reference. I mean, it's like this woman, you know, she, she didn't have the emotional intelligence to be able to go through her life and navigate these unique challenges. I mean, by no means am I saying I know how to walk in her shoes. But at the same time, you know, there's people that are able because they do have that, that core of understanding about themselves. And you know what I mean? It's like, so anyway, that, that's just that's something I'm really passionate about because I feel like that's the gap in the education system right now. And, you know, coming from a mom who was an educator for 30 years who dealt with these behavioral issues and these kids, that's exactly what she what could have were, used, yeah. you know, is like it's having these kids understand 
woo, like, you know, like <laughs> how to focus and being able to like be present and respectful and, you know, and understand the value for themselves and like just a lot of things that, you know, it, 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 it's a whole nother conversation, really. I mean, emotional intelligence is a really spanning it's a thing. It's subject. It's dope. It's really like, it's the evolution of our our species. Yeah. If you really break it down, like we're, we're now at a tipping point where, you know, you're looking at like, you know, Oprah in some ways, really she represents to me a huge example of someone who has actually been able to mainstream emotional intelligence. The way that she does her shows, I mean, it's essentially, it's long form workshops, you mm -hmm. know? It's mm -hmm. like she talks people through different things. She brings people on who are experts in basically emotional intelligence. It's yeah. understanding, you know, the human condition and, and breaking it down in spiritual terms as well. But, I mean, it's, like, hugely valuable. And so the more time, the more ways we can, like, get that going in the mainstream. Then it'll make more. The more evolution more we'll have evolution. as a culture. And where, what next projects are you working on? Oh, man. Well, the Q side is going to TV. So we're taking it from the web to the TV now. Yeah. Well, do you have a date set? Thank you. No, we're still in development with it. So, okay. um, but, yeah, when, when, uh, as soon as I get the word, we'll get the word. <laughs> um, so that's cool. And then, and then we have a hidden camera show. I came up with this hidden camera show because... Hot girls get away with shit. They really they do. do. And so we made a hidden camera show called Hot Girls Get Away With Shit. And where where can people watch that? People yeah. can check it out on Loud. Check so it out yeah, loud. yeah, okay. we have uh, the the partnership with this premium YouTube channel, and it's called Loud. And, and so yeah, if you go to YouTube.com/slash/loud, you can uh, catch up on all the Hot Girls Get Away With Shits, and also the Q set is on there as well. Well, before we finish the interview, we have a couple questions that we want to play around with and uh, this see. This is kind of like the crazy question. Yeah, this is the crazy question. Fun lightweight questions. All right, I'm going to give you five questions. You give me quick answers for. Them. Favorite rap artist of all time? Favorite rap artist of all time? Okay. Common. What has been your favorite moment of achievement to date? Whew. Oh, wow. <laughs> favorite moment of achievement to date? Oh, boy. Dude, that's a tough one. I don't even think about it. You can skip it. You can skip it. Let's go to this one. What is a hidden talent that you have the most people would never expect to see you do? <laughs> Probably spoken word poetry. Really? Oh, you yeah. got a little line you can drop for us, like on the whim right now. Like right now. Like, you know what? I haven't done it in a while, so. It, but it's really now it's just poetry. <laughs> but yeah, I used to do spoken word back in the New York days. I did the Eureka Poets Cafe, Jimmy's Uptown, and all that. But yo, man, I just, I wouldn't want to totally misrepresent myself by. No, I do not want to go there. No but pressure. spoken word poetry. <laughs> spoken word poetry. Okay, last question for me is: uh, If you were stranded on an island. For the rest of your life, and you can bring one person with you. Who would you bring, and why? Oh, that's easy. And I why? Mean, it's my girlfriend right now. Yeah, she's dope. She's. Uh, and she's out listening to us right now, yes, and yeah. I, I can tell you how your evening is going to go after answering that question <laughs> that way. She might be doing <laughs> a cartwheel over there. She yeah. might be backflipping right now in our lobby uh, at, at the studio. She's awesome. All right, all right, Courtney, what you got for us? Well, we have higher fire casting couch from your MTV VJ days. Lala Anthony, Vanessa Manila Lachey, or Suchin Pak? Who would you hire, who would you fire, and who would you put on the cast? That is so hard, yo. <laughs> what are you asking of me? You are asking of I me. See, I see a little sweat going on the forehead right now. Ooh, every bit of emotional intelligence I've learned is coming in. That's your question right now. Wow. Um, you know what? It just depends on the show. Depends on the show? Yeah. It's a hosting it's show. It's a hosting show. Nah, uh, it's a hosting show. Yes. It's like on how to host. So uh, duets. If you if you were to move on, who would you hire? Who would you fire? And who would you? For duets. And this is all for fun. So ladies, yeah. no offense to anyone. It's all for fun. Yeah, yeah for I would say um, hmm, Vanessa would be the host. Mm -hmm. Who would hire, you fire? Who would you fire? 
just because maybe their life is too crazy. <laughs> I don't like this line of questioning. <laughs> I want to skip this one. Right. <laughs> These are my friends we're talking about here. All right, so my game is called None of Your Business. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You can say none of your business to just one. Whoa. I think he wanted to use his none of the business <laughs> on the last set of questions yeah, right? that Courtney had. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I got to take off my jacket. <laughs> yeah, it got warm in here. It's hot in here. Somebody <laughs> give him a towel, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll start with, a, with an easy question. What was your most embarrassing dating experience? Embarrassing dating experience. Oh man. Um. Wow. You know what? I I embarrassed myself uh, in a conversation about politics with a girl. That, that, by the way, is really not the ideal way to jump off a date. Um, <laughs> but you know, I didn't really have a lot of information about what stand I was taking in this particular campaign, and I just I just knew the vibe I got from the from the guy who was running. And so I was like, Yeah, but he got he got a better vibe. <laughs> and, you know, in a, in a conversation about politics, that just doesn't go over. Uh, so I embarrass myself that way. But, you know, I, you know, in terms of embarrassing myself, like, I know y'all, y'all looking for, like, something crazy. Like, I, I <laughs> we, know you, we know you got it in you. We know, we know we got something. You know coming. what it is about my memory? I got a selective memory, man. Oh, Anything that's, like, <laughs> that terrible and traumatic, I just delete and I move on. So you ain't going to get anything that juicy. All right, well, there you go. What was the last lie you told that you got caught? The last lie I told. <laughs> so we just keep begging them at you. Man, I ain't scared. I ain't scared. You know, I'm open book. Um, but what's the last lie I told where I got caught? Man. Or just what's the last lie? Let's just put it out there. The last lie. You can tell the truth. You now. know what? It was probably, oh, man. Dude, I'm really having a hard time. I'm a really honest person, like almost to a fault. Like, I will, I, will, I will keep it real. You know that skit, that Dave Chappelle skit, where keeping it real goes wrong? Yeah. I'm like that you're like, guy. You're that guy. So you're that I guy. keep it real to a fault. So, dude, I, that's, that's my answer is that I can't even remember. I really okay. can't. What makes you feel most insecure? What makes me feel most insecure? Man, I mean, not to take it down, but, like, just the, the idea of death, man. Like, yeah. the idea of death, like, you just never know. And, um... You know, thinking about, like, my family, like, my friends. Like, dude, anything can happen, you know what I'm saying? Especially at this Boston situation. I'm just like, that makes me feel really insecure. It's just like never knowing about how the next day could go. But, you know, I have faith, though. I do. I do have faith. So, you know, I'll, I'll swing it back up on that note. <laughs> swing it back up. Um, last one night stand. Last one night stand. Man, I only had one. I only had one. That was all I needed to really uh, figure out that I wasn't a one-night stand kind of dude. But it was a one-night stand. My first spring break as an MTV VJ down in Cancun, Mexico. <laughs> and you oh, were yeah. sober for it. And you know what? No. By that point, <laughs> I was like, you know, this was, this was about a year in. I was 21. I was legal to be able to drink. And, man, I was just so precious about sex, dude. I had it up on a pedestal, yo. You would have thought I was like a pageant girl or something. Or like, you know, my daddy was a pastor, a pastor or something. I, really, I love it. You know, and so, but, but by that point, though, I was like all up in the, the mix. I was like, everybody... Effing everywhere around me. I was like, man, this is debauchery all over the place. <laughs> I was like, man, when in Rome, man? I, you know, I'm at spring break. Can you believe it? Like, I'm a 21-year-old man. Out of all places, right, right. I'm trying to be approved at spring right. break. I was just like, okay, you got me. All right. All right, I'll have some sex. So, <laughs> so you know, on my way out of this club, I saw this blonde girl. She's cute as could be. And I just was like, straight up, let's do this. Let's go. And so, was that the line? Was that? Um, that I don't know. That was a terrible. I was like, was right like damn, was that the line? I was like, was that the line? No, no. Let me be very clear. I think it was probably more like, "Hey, my name is Caduce, 
And now let's go. Let's do this. Um, no, but it was, I don't know, it was some little chat. But it, it, didn't, it didn't take much because she was probably on the exact same wavelength uh, based on it's results. spring break, yeah. And it was just, it was wild, man. I mean, it just, oh, man, but I tell you what, though, it's, it's important, I think, to have those experiences. You know, but ultimately, I'm not that type of dude. I, I, yeah. I'm a little sucker for love. You know, I'm a sucker oh. for love. I'm a little sucker for romance. I like to get to know my woman. I like to respect the woman before I, I lay her down, you know. And Once again, your girlfriend is on the lobby right now. Cheering. And she that's is like, boo. that's my boo yeah, right there. Well, that's, right. You know, that's Two just... more questions. One, what music are you embarrassed that you have, that you listen to on your iPod? <laughs> Come on, it's gonna be one song. We all got it. We all got one. We all got one. I'm just trying to think of the most embarrassing. Yeah, like, you would roll your window up just to listen to the songs, and, and no even one else tuck back it. your seat a little bit so nobody can see. <laughs> oh man, I, dude, you remember? You remember? You remember when JoJo was popping? Yeah. Well, oh yeah, yeah JoJo's yeah. still popping. That Andre <laughs> song. Dope. I mean, but like you know, mainstream. Like, oh yeah, she yeah. had like the. the she had the bubble gum. The bubble stuff. bubble yes. gum gum. Dude, her yeah, first yeah, yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was and she was like 15. Yeah. It's like I love 15 it. years old, dude. <laughs> Little white girl sings like a black girl. Yeah. So much of it could have been like, ah, can't do it. But no, it's so good. It's just that, uh. Yeah, it's like some pop, I, it does it for me, man. And that was it. So, JoJo. JoJo. Jo-Jo. All right. Jo-Jo. And for the final yeah. question. What host should not be hosting on television right now? Man, y'all trying to make me throw people under the bus, yo. I mean, listen. Hold on. Let me. I see. I don't even watch that much TV to know, like, because if something's whack, it probably doesn't come up on my radar. I don't even watch well, it. Well, how do you feel about the host on 106 and Park? You know what? I haven't even really watched that. I watched. <laughs> I watched the um, couple shows in the transition where they're finding the VJ. Mm-hmm. I think that's that takes me back to my VJ, VJ search days back in Much Music. I relate with these kids that are auditioning live, but I, I mean, you know, Bow Wow. He's a rapper. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like. I don't think he's going to profess to be the greatest host ever. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, Bow Wow's still got a lot to learn about the host thing. Um, but he's doing his best, man. You know, he's, he's Bow Wow. Okay, yeah. So you're going to be politically correct with this. Well, right? that, how about we just say that's your uh, none of your business. That's your none of your business. <laughs> your business. I'm just, dude, I'm a, I'm a nice Canadian boy. You ain't going to have <laughs> me out here just throwing people under the bus. <laughs> all right. It's not in my nature. Caduce, where can all your fans find you? And also, where can they see your new project that you were speaking about, the Q side? And also, the Hot Girls, the title is Hot Girls Get Away. Hot Girls Get Away. How could you forget that title? I know. Every, everything I just is remember at, the hot girls. That's, that's right. That's just fixated on that. Um, TheQside.com is my website. I'm on Twitter at I am Caduce. I'm on Facebook at I am Caduce. And uh, man, I'm, I'm I'm just so blessed. That y'all y'all have me on your show. Thank you guys. And uh, definitely keep Thank keep in touch, coming. man. I'm excited to show y'all all the shows we're gonna roll out in the near future. We're excited we're to excited show it. To see it. Courtney, where can your fans find you? At Stuart Starlet on Twitter. At DJ Jesse J. And I'm Dario Kristen. You can find me under my same name under Twitter and Facebook. Thank you guys for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live Portraits with our special guest, Caduce. Be sure to check out everything that he's doing because it's all exciting. And be sure to tune in for our next, 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 next episode. See you soon. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Kristen, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at BHL Online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.